0: I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. shalom <laughs> aleichem Shalom, shalom. It's great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving and Hanukkah Sameach and happy Tuesday, because every Tuesday should be happy. And uh, we're so happy everyone is here to be uh, uh, in this learning together. And we're going to start with a little poll together to see what we think about some of the issues at hand. When you do a mitzvah of any type, do you primarily do it because God commanded it? it feels good it's personally meaningful or not interested in ritual meets votes, only an ethical meets vote that help others okay so you do it to help others because it's meaningful it feels good god commanded it i know some of these are not mutually exclusive but why would you say you mostly do these things that you do these jewish acts okay let's give you another moment Okay, 0% because God commanded it, 0% because it just feels good, 75% because it's personally meaningful, and 25% uh, because it's, uh, it's, it helps others. It helps others. Okay, very good. Now, to frame the question differently, we might ask our motives for why we do good at all. When you do something kind to others, do you do it because it feels good? Do you feel it out of a sense of duty or responsibility? Do you do it because you feel you're commanded or from empathy? Why do you do the good that you do? Okay, friends, let's enter the world of mitzvot. Our debate 27 today is about what is the purpose of these mitzvot anyways? Why are Jews engaged in mitzvot? Several reasons have been offered over the millennia. Some have suggested the goal is fidelity. Fidelity. The mitzvot are here to strengthen our our connection to the creator through obedience. Even the mitzvot that make no sense to us at all are considered gifts as a vehicle to connect and serve. The opposing view is that the mitzvot are rational and make sense to us. And by extension, they serve a purpose in our personal lives, in our communities, and in the world. So once again, those who believe mitzvot don't make a ton of sense, and they don't need to. It's about a relationship. And others who say, no, this is not about a relationship. Each mitzvah has its own reason, its own own wisdom to this act. So what exactly is referred to by the term mitzvot? In general, of course, we're talking about the Tariag mitzvot, the 613 biblical mitzvot. But as the Talmud explains, Rabbi Simlai expounded 613 mitzvot, we're told, to Moshe, 365 prohibitions like the days of the year, and 248 prescriptions like the limbs of a person. Rabbi Hamnuna said, what verse supports this? Torah tzivalanu Moshe, morashah kehilat Yaakov. Moshe commanded us Torah a heritage to the congregation of Jacob. Torah has the Gematria of 611, while the first two of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me, were heard directly from God. Okay, so that's how they derive in the Talmud, this idea of 613. Of course, it's a little bit of a game because there's more mitzvot beyond the 613. It's just about how they categorize the 613 and then the subsections as well. So, on the other hand, some explain that the number 613, while significant, is at the same time kind of arbitrary and that there are actually far more. The Ibn Ezra writes, by way of investigation, the truth of the matter is that there is no end to the number of mitzvot. As the verse states, for every goal I have seen an end, but your commandments is exceedingly broad. The rabbis argue that more important than doing a random good act is performing a mitzvah. Rav Chanina in in Avodah Zarah 3a says, greater is the one who is commanded and performs than one who is not commanded and performs. That's a little bit counterintuitive. You would think better to do something you don't have to do than something you have to do. But the Talmud says better to do something you have to do than something you don't have to do, right? And, 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 And we can hash that out together in our conversation. Furthermore, the Torah explicitly states that the mitzvot were given for our own good. It says here in Devarim, God commanded us to perform all these decrees to fear God, our Lord, for our own good for all time, to give us life as this very day. But what exactly does that even mean, that the mitzvot are to be understood and be of value in this world? Or that they are not understood, but benefit us with reward in the next world through our obedience, it is not at all clear. And so one approach suggests that the benefit is that through the mitzvot, we can learn to emulate the divine and be more godlike. It says in um, Devarim 13:5, based, and then we, we see the rabbis in sota: follow God your Lord, remain in awe of the divine observe God's commandments, listen to the voice and serve God, and you will be there to cleave to the divine, right? So this is the bedrachav, imitatio day. So here the goal is character development. The goal is our midot. The Rambam, Maimonides makes this point even more clear in his Hilchot Tamura. And all these matters, the mitzvot, are to help us overcome our negative inclinations and to correct our traits. And most laws of the Torah are instruction from afar from the great advisor to help us to correct our character traits and strengthen our ways. You know, my three year old, his favorite word these days is why, why? Everything, no matter what I say, why, why? You know, (laughs) and um, it's unclear what he's always asking when he says why. um, You know, but does he want me to say because I said so? Does he want me to give him a profound reason? Does he want me to give a practical reason, right? What does it mean when we ask why do this, right? If I do a Pesach seder, do I do Pesach seder because I believe the Torah wants me to? Do I do it because it's meaningful and nostalgic? Do I do it because it helps me to become a greater advocate for the oppressed in the world? What What am I doing when I do a Pesach seder ultimately? Is it just fun? Is it religious? Is it ethical? What am I doing? The Rambam says, this is about our character traits. If we do Pesach, if we light Hanukkah lights and it doesn't improve our character, what have we done? What have we done? As the Midrash says, the commandments were given only in order to refine humanity. So this position of the Midrash Rabbah is at odds with the notion of obedience, that we don't say, oh child, do what I said because I'm your parent and you're the child. Right, We don't do mitzvot because God is a ruler and authoritarian and we should just obey what we've been told to do. According to this midrash, the child is told what to do in order that they can become a kinder person. right? And we are given mitzvot in order that we can have better character. Rambam, the great champion of rationalism, argues that we should strive to uncover the reasons for the ta'ameha mitzvot the reasoning behind the mitzvot. He writes, even though all of the mitzvot of the Torah are divine decrees, it is still fitting that a person contemplate them and give reasons for them as much as they can. And the early sages said that Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, understood most of the reasons of all the laws of the Torah. So what does it mean to be wise? Is that you know what you're doing. Now, for some of the rabbis, that's chutzpah. You're arrogant. How can you know why God gave you this mitzvah? Just do do the right thing and don't worry about the reason. For others, they say, what is that? That's blasphemy. There's wisdom to each each mitzvah, and I should try to access that wisdom. (laughs) And that is one of the great divides between the rationalists and the mystics. The mitzvot are divided into two subgroups. The chukim, seemingly non-rational, and the mishpatim, the rational. For Rambam, even the chukim, a chok, ha- has an explanation that can be uncovered. Similarly, Rav Sadiegoen of the ninth and early 10th century argues that revelation and reason can and must be in sync with one another. He reasons that if they are not in sync, we have not worked hard enough in either our intellectual work of reason or in our interpretive work of revelation. The Ramban Nachmanides, on the other hand, challenges this entire project, suggesting that the true goal of the mitzvot is simply about returning to God. He writes, our saint is taught that one should be careful with a mitzvah, that people treat lightly just as they are careful with a mitzvah, that people treat seriously, as all mitzvot are precious and coveted. This is because every time a person fulfills any mitzvah, they acknowledge God. And the purpose of all the mitzvot is for us to believe in God and to thank God for creating us. And so, friends, here we see this idea of how do we give different weight to mitzvot? If I believe this is all about obedience and relationship, then they're all the same. It doesn't matter if somebody's putting on a talit or if someone is um, eating matzah or lighting a menorah or helping the homeless, whatever I do, it's all equally important because all of this is a pathway to the divine as a spiritual practice. If this is primarily an intellectual and ethical project, not primarily about a spiritual connection to the divine, then of course I'm gonna give heavier weight to this over that, right? I'm gonna give more weight to helping the downtrodden than I will uh, over some types of ritual. I'll give more weight to the rituals that are meaningful to me over the rituals that are less meaningful. I'm going to do what's going to lift me up, what's going to help me, what's going to help others. This is an important issue to get clarity on. But perhaps there is a middle ground that can be found in Rabbi Aharon of Barcelona's idea, he's a 13th century teacher, that even if we haven't worked out the reasons for the mitzvot, behaviorally conditioning ourselves to them will indeed improve us. Here's what he says in the Sefer HaChinuch. A person is influenced by their actions and their heart and thoughts follow the acts they do, whether they are good or bad. Even one who is a completely wicked person who constantly thinks of doing bad deeds, if they are inspired for the better and put time into fulfilling Torah and mitzvot, even if it is not for the sake of heaven, will turn to the good and overcome their evil inclination through the power of these actions since a person's heart follows their actions. Similarly, even if one is completely righteous who desires Torah and mitzvot, but always involves themselves in bad deeds, after a certain amount of time, they will become a wicked person. For we know it is true that every person is affected by their actions." So very interesting. So one side said, it's all about our intentionality. It is about intending to refine our character to add meaning to our lives. The other said, yep, I agree, all about intentionality, but you got the intentionality wrong. It's not about us, it's about God, right? And all of our intentionality should be about about Avodat Hashem, serving God. And then the Sefer of Chiduch says, intentionality? Schmidt intentionality. <laughs> Who cares about your intentions? What matters is what you do. You can have great intentions, and if you do bad things, it will make you wicked. And you can have bad intentions, but if you keep doing the right thing, it'll make you righteous. We are behavioralists. The Sefer Achinuch says, if you keep doing the right thing, it will change you. It will change you. And if you keep being lazy or sloppy, it will change you. And so don't worry about all these intentions as, as noble and lofty as they may be. What matters most is that you have on your daily agenda, your character development work, the meets vote you're gonna do, the ways you're gonna lift others. And if you keep doing those things, don't worry it will change you for the good. And so, don't worry as much about this intentionality according to that view. So on the one hand, it seems more humble to say, what do we know? Only God knows, and reject the notion that the meats vote have any discernible goal that we can understand. On the other hand, it seems more humble to say that the meats vote have goals, such as to humble us and thus become godlike. After all, once we say that we don't know anything then we have no real reason to choose torah over other religious systems right we need intellectual and moral discernment to affirm that there is a moral path worth pursuing at the same time one threat in the need for for reason is that one may abandon the good path at any moment that reason fails to make the proper case Imagine a love relationship. If that love relationship is not about a deep relationship, it's only about reason. The moment the reason fails, right? The reason fails as to why I'm in this love relationship. The relationship dissipates. If there's a relationship that is deeper than reason, then at moments when reason fails us, the relationship can maintain. And so too with Torah. How much do I give weight to reason because of the value of reason? And how much is there a love beyond reason? So religious life and moral life, even when separate, and certainly when taken together, require more spiritual roots and grounding than just reason of the moment. Further, the timeless meets vote we've inherited deserve more reverence than to be merely discarded the moment our zeitgeist produces new forms of reason. So friends, to move to a conclusion here with a short intro today, do we ever reach the point in a marriage or another significant relationship where we don't need logical reasons to maintain marriage? That love itself is enough to sustain all the various things we do for one another. Perhaps some do. Perhaps others need a good reason for any task they do for a partner. The same is true for Torah and mitzvot. At some point, Some individuals might be in God love, so to speak, and that alone will motivate them to simply immerse in Torah spiritually and ethically. Others might not be as God focused and need more good moral reasons for every mitzvah they engage in. Once again, each of us are and must be quite different. The Torah through various approaches to the purpose of and reasons for the mitzvot can include us all. Friends, one more thought before I open it up. Why would it be that we have a teleological approach to so much in our life that we set goals? If if somebody goes to work, they have a goal. They have their own goal. They have the the organizational goals. If somebody makes an investment, they have a goal for a return on their investment. So what is our goal when we do meets vote? What am I trying to achieve? It's one thing to say, what the historical path was. When I light the menorah on Sunday, when we all light the menorah on Sunday night for the first time this year, we might say, oh, I'm doing this because it's a rabbinic mitzvah. I'm doing this because it's meaningful. I'm doing this because we want to publicize the miracle. I'm doing this because the miracle of the oil. I'm doing this because of the military victory. Whatever reason we say why we historically got to this moment to say it, the next question might become, But what is my goal in doing this? What am I trying to achieve in doing this? And how will I measure the success if I've achieved that? Am I doing it in a way that makes me happy and the people around me happy? Am I doing it in a way that brings light to the world or to society? Am I doing it in a way that is actually helping sustain the Jewish people in some way? And what we might learn is that the act itself is not enough. The act is merely a stimulus towards the next act that actually we mistakenly thought that lighting the menorah was the end. Oh, I, I fulfilled Hanukkah. Actually, you gotta take a bite of a donut first, right? Or a latke, whatever you're gonna do with it. Or play dreidel or open the present. You yeah, actually do the fun stuff too, Fine, But I might think I did it. Wow, I made it. I lit my menorah and I had a bite of a jelly donut. Like I, I'm really here, I'm really a chew, right? But, or we might say, good, I did that. Now, what does that propel me to go do? I'm gonna go online and go donate. I'm going to go reach out to somebody who needs support. I'm going to go send a Hanukkah card. right? What will the mitzvah then propel us to do? And how will I make sure I fulfill the ultimate goal of Hanukkah? OK, friends, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to pause here. I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts and questions about the purpose of mitzvot.
1: Lauren, you have a hand
0: up? Yeah. Thanks. Uh,
2: I'll, I'll lower it now. Um, Okay, for me the basis is set v'nishma. So we'll do it if we understand later. That's great, but we do it because God said, and I think that's always been my approach to mitzvot. I mean, I didn't love going into the mikvah; I kind of disliked it. I'm afraid of the water, but you know what choice did I have other than not getting married? Um, I also want to say my my spiritual advisor put it in a really neat way. He sees it as um, a fitness program. He said like it, the same way, if if you want like a great set of abs, you gotta do your sit-ups and you gotta go to the gym and you know, you're know you not gonna get it by just watching other people at the gym and then going home and you know having a big donut. But so the same thing, I think mitzvot are, um, that's your fitness program that that's part of turning you into a mensch and and turning into a good jew with with yirat shemayim and you don't have to understand necessarily why you do the mitzvah you just do it and it will lead to other good things
0: mm. okay lauren thank you so much so lauren makes the case very powerfully about um nasa nishma that we should we should do things. It is a boot camp. It is a training to change us, um, and we have to do that work even when it doesn't feel good or feel meaningful necessarily, like 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 what you shared with Mikva, and um, and trust that that will uh, change us. But not some blind faith. We'll experience over time how this can mold us and can ultimately shape us. Thank you, Lauren. I saw Steve's hand go up.
3: Oh yes. Uh, can you hear me at all? Yes, we
0: do. Yes, we do, Steve. Uh,
3: thank you. Uh, number one, and and this is my own shortcoming. Uh, I always thought that mitzvot meant a uh, good deed and not commandment. Is is am I wrong? or Is there a difference? And number two, um, I I don't think that mitzvot, whether it's a good deed or a response to commandment, is is God oriented or or God. Uh, demanded as long as, I, I, I think that they are inherent. I think each one of us is born with the the desire to create, to connect with others and to express compassion. I see that in people outside of our religion, within our religion. I, I think that th- there is an appearance and innateness to it. And as long as bad things happen to good people, it's hard for me to figure out how God is observing his own mitzvot or her own mitzvot. And mm-hmm. I'll pause there.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Steve. And I see Barbara, you've got a hand up next. And then, and I see Michael also. Um, yeah, I love it. So first of all, as a pluralistic program, we most certainly embrace multiple interpretations of words, and we accept uh, mitzvah translated as good deed. We accept mitzvah translated as commandment. We know that some Jews among us experience commandments as a powerful idea. Others might experience them more as good deeds, um, less as a command. And um, and another uh, translation of the word is actually relationship based upon the root of the word that each mitzvah uh, doesn't need to be translated as commandment or good deed, but as a pathway to a relationship. And so that picks up on your next point around around connection through these good deeds. And I think that one of the downsides to Maimonides um, and those around him who champion anonymous good deeds um, is that anonymous good deeds have their own power Uh, In um, in anonymity, but also the loss of connection and relationship. Many people who are the recipients of good deeds don't want anonymity. They want relationship. And so to give in, in whatever way we give to another, but to do it that adds a sweetness and adds a relationship can be so powerful. And so not everything needs to be anonymous, actually, but can be a pathway towards relationship. And and Steve's last point there around um, around does God perform these mitzvot? You know is such a powerful such a powerful question. On the one hand, we learn from aspects of the Talmud that it's precisely imitatio Dei. It is precisely the emulation of the highest divine manifestations that we're seeking to emulate. God buries the sick, not buries the sick. God forbid. God buries the dead. Um, and so we bury the dead. God clothes the naked, so we clothe the naked. God comforts the sick, so we comfort the sick. On the other hand, we know that there's Hester Panim, that God's presence in this world can't truly be seen. I know some people feel they see it clearly, but we our tradition says that the divine presence is mostly nistar, mostly hidden. And so what does it mean that he or she is actually performing these mitzvot in some sense? And so this is a, a really powerful, reminder for us um where do we actually look for a model for a model of these mitzvahs okay much more to say there but let's go to barbara well i
1: find many reasons to um to find uh, joy in following mitzvahs one is what you just said about the connection my connection to judaism and the reminder of all of the beauties of judaism and the, the 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 uh, uh, mitzvot such as lighting candles and, and having a, a pushka and all of those things are a connection for me to, Ju- to Judaism because I feel that Judaism is Pirkei Avot. That's, that's the basis of Judaism for me. Another reason is, another connection is in doing something for others, there's joy for them and joy for me. And and when when I can can perceive the need that someone has and I can fulfill it, it, it's a tremendous joy and I connect it to to Judaism. But, and the main reason that I cherish mitzvot is dor la door, That I can set an example for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and that I, I can Teach them by my doing what I do and finding happiness and doing it that they also will find that happiness. Mm
0: -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Barbara says so much there. And just to pick up on just one of her points, you know, it's, um, it's very easy as Jews for us to believe always that sacrifice is the highest level. Everything we do has to be for someone else, never for ourselves. But in fact, if we view the mitzvot as a gift, something that can bring us joy and that joy can give us sustenance and resiliency. And that resiliency will of course, channel, you know, channel forth and and spring forth towards good deeds. Um, That enables us to love ourselves and value ourselves and thus value others. And so that joy and wanting to pass that joy joy on to, uh, to, to next generations is such a powerful reminder that it's okay to Uh, not view this primarily as a sacrifice, but actually as something uplifting. So thank you, Barbara. Thank you so much. Michael, I saw your hand was up there.
4: Yes. um, If you look at mitzvah, is something that God, Hashem, created us with, with the ability, free will, the ability to choose between good and bad, and mitzvah is kind of a roadmap for us. Or you can say that God has commanded us in being... created his image this is something that we've been instructed to follow it goes back to the question of why did Hashem create us what was the purpose in creating us because that that really kind of would affect which way you would look at that Mm
0: -hmm. yes I love that I love that Michael it's a great connection because I think you're exactly right that if we think we have been given a gift of a spiritual and, and moral legacy, uh, heritage um, that is here to fulfill the ultimate purpose of humanity, then the question of why was humanity created is completely intertwined with how is this gift going to help us actualize that purpose? And so I think you're totally right that the question of the purpose of humanity and the purpose of mitzvot is directly intertwined. It's kind of like um, the question of, what is the purpose of my family? Now that's a weird question to ask. What do you mean the purpose of my family? What's the purpose of my family? And then what do we actually spend our time doing, right? And so if the purpose of my family is, um, you know, joy, then that's very different than the purpose of my family is to serve others, or the purpose of my family is um, religious engagement, And I think getting clarity on on the question of purpose of self, purpose of family, what's the purpose of the Jewish community? Like, what does the world lose if there's not a Jewish community? Like, can we identify that? If, God forbid, there wasn't a Jewish people, what would the world lose? And once we say that, we can say, oh, well, what are we here to do? What are the Jews here to do? Right? And, And then once we say creation at all has any value, why did God create the world? Well, what's the purpose of this world? And so I think that's exactly right, Michael. So I appreciate that so much. That kind of zooming out to that question of purpose of self in relationship to purpose of mitzvot. And by the way, it's worth reminding us in this conversation. Victor Frankel famously said, "The question is not what's the purpose of life, but what is the purpose of your life, right? Which is to say, the question might be what's the purpose of the mitzvot, or it might be what is the que- what is the purpose of your mitzvot, right?" In what way are these mitzvot in this unique time, in this unique opportunity, in what way are these enhancing your life and lifting you to your potential? Yes, Eric.
5: Thank you. Uh, This is a, I had had one question, but now you brought up a very different one I wanna ask about. Um, You know, you cited a good one about the idea that mitzvotes are all coveted and and the idea of uh, a purpose and goal, but there's something, I, I have maybe two questions. Um, where have you seen that, and I guess the idea of all coveted, if, 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 if mitzvot are coveted, all, you know, where have you seen that time, especially this generation, has started to, um, the value of mitzvot, certain kinds have maybe become less coveted through the relevance of this generation, whether that's globalization, whether that's technology, whether that's affiliate, whether that's a simulation, uh, a, a, a simulation. Where have you seen that where the covenants of Vote has now been more in questioned? And two, from your I like to get your opinion or other people to speak about, the, uh, this is a separate question. Where has the purpose of how has one coped where doing mitzvot, votes, but the purpose of it, you know, of course, not just changes, but say the purpose is gone. Um, I like to know how people have coped with it and how to do mitzvah when the original purpose and the intention of it is gone, but still try to do it.
0: Okay, amazing. That is, that's great, Eric. So there's, there's really so much there. Um, th- let's start with the second part. This idea of purpose is gone is really such a profound question about life in general, of how do we keep going when our sense of purpose has diminished and that happens in many levels it happens with empty nesters sometimes when someone has a has children and those children move out and they have to redefine their purpose like my purpose was to raise these children and now they're out of my home it happens with retirement when someone defines some parts of their self-worth through their work and they have to redefine their purpose now that they're not working full time. It can happen when someone's um, life partner dies and their, their sense of their narrative was so intertwined. It can happen if someone believes in God and then becomes an atheist and kind of loses their kind of foundation of, uh, of, of their core. Um, it can happen if someone kind of gets, um, you know, gets, hears from the doctor uh, how much time they have left in life. And now feeling their mortality in such a tangible way, start to wonder, well, geez, if I only have three months left or nine months or four years, like, like what's left of me? Like what is my purpose in this, in this last stage? And it happens after accidents If someone becomes, you becomes know, paraplegic or um, confined to a bed. There's so many different layers of change in life that can lead one to losing a sense of purpose um, or a major philosophical change. Right. I mean, let me use a, maybe perhaps a strange example. Someone whose um, identity was so hardcore Republican. They're so diehard Republican. This is like their religion. Right. But then they become anti-Trump in 2016 and they feel homeless. Like I can't be a Democrat. But my whole identity was Republican, but I'm ashamed to be a Republican. So what am I? Like, what, what am I now? Right. Or someone is Israeli. Everything is about being Israeli. And for whatever reason, they need to move out of Israel and they live somewhere else. And they said, well, who am I? Well, who am I? I, I live in Cincinnati now. Like, what, like what, what am I? I don't serve in the army. I don't live in Israel. So this, there's so many changes in life through divorce, through death, through sickness, through retirement, through becoming an empty nester, through religious and ethical changes, identity shifts, paradigm shifts, and intellectual thought, where one's purpose can really start to shift. And if one is not aware of it, it can lead one to a sense of angst or of depression. Um, of not having a source of drive or motivation in one's life to keep going, not just to survive, but a sense of uh, a, a real sense of thriving. And I would say this is one of the crises of the Jewish people today. The Jewish people are not clear of their purpose today. We're not clear because we used to say, we used to say in the 60s and the 50s and 60s and 70s, The purpose was Holocaust remembrance. The purpose was the survival of the state of Israel. The purpose was to fight assimilation, right? But now fast forward to 2021. Fast forward to 2021. And you get new generations of of Jews who say, my purpose? My purpose is Holocaust remembrance. My purpose is survival of the state of Israel. My purpose is religious. I don't want to be religious. Like, what is the purpose of Tikkun Olam, repair the world? I've got... Plenty of Gentile friends who want to repair the world. Like, what do you mean? Like, what is my purpose as a Like, I, 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 and so on a collective level, we have an existential, an existential crisis, right? And America, what is America's goal? Are we still exceptionalist as Americans, right? Is America's role to go put spread democracy around the planet, or did that whole enterprise fail with with our attempts in the last few decades, or really since Vietnam, in some sense, right? What is our goal now? What is our goal now as Americans? And as an individual, when I lose my primary sense of ultimate purpose, how do I rebuild that? How do I rebuild a sense of what I'm here in the world to do? Either because I feel God has chosen me or called upon me because I, somebody else is calling upon me, because I feel some se- innate sense of worth. So what do we do when purpose is gone? And I'm obviously not gonna provide an answer to that, uh, but cause I think the question is so important. But what I do want to offer is we cannot wait to address this question until we've hit rock bottom. If we hit rock bottom and someone's in a drug rehab or in, uh, in recovery or in the deepest state of depression or in some sense that of, of suicidal, God forbid, someone has no reason to believe there's a purpose to their life, right? We can't get anywhere near that place. And so, way before we hit rock bottom, We need to do the work on a daily basis of reminding ourselves of our self-worth and reminding ourselves of our purpose in this world, right? And we can't rely on the same answer we relied on 30 years ago, right? Each each era of our life as it's constantly unfolding, we need to continue to refine our sense of purpose, our sense of purpose. Okay, now to go to your first point there, Eric, um, around this generation, wow, there's so much to say here as well. So on the one hand, um, there's a return to Judaism, which is very interesting. That in many ways, the last generation ran away from Judaism and we see kind of the, the fallout from that, how many kids were raised completely assimilated and they ran away, oh, Judaism is not spiritual. Yeah, I'll be a good person. Maybe I'll even be a little spiritual, but I don't really need Judaism in any kind of robust way um, you know, in this enterprise. And what we see from the younger generation is a desire to return to ritual in many regards because the world has become so intangible. It's so intangible and so abstract living on Zoom, living through technology and social media apps, dating by swiping people across the screen, right? So intangible, so lack of concrete that there's such a desire to return to the concrete experience, indeed, Um, the ritual experience in in many ways. And so we see, we see a desire to return uh, to ritual in many ways. And in some ways we see kind of a waning of the ethical commitment, which I think is very scary because there's a drop in empathy, once again, due to those intangible connections, the lack of human relationship in many ways. Um, And although people might be passionate about causes, oh, I'm an environmentalist. Oh, I stand for you know, um, Black Lives Matter, right? I'm a Zionist, right? There's ca- abstract causes that people care about. Those causes sometimes replace the interpersonal meets vote of kindness and of love. Um, I, I'm, of course, not uh, saying it always does, but in, in the world of technology and of, of the burst of movements and of social media movements, it's very easy to stop thinking about character. And care and care for one another. So again, my assessment of the trends and this is an oversimplification because there's so many trends is that rituals on the rise. Justice causes are on the rise basic ethics and human of of human decency are are on the decline are on the decline and that my hope is um, That we don't have to diminish the other two. How can we keep ritual high and keep the justice causes high but use those use those as tools to bring back our mental our decency towards others on an interpersonal level as well. Michael.
4: Uh, one question I have with well, your statement is, what, what are we considering or who are we considering the Jewish people? For example, the Orthodox have a very clear idea of your question of why we're here and what we're supposed to do. and And you look at the, I'm not sure how much for the non-orthodox world there's such a range in such diversity do we have a true common concept of Judaism or are, are you more referring into the, the u.s organized um, conserve and reform who we tend to see as, as more representing the non-orthodox but Jewish population. And, and it, 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 the Jewish world is so diverse, it's almost hard to think about a Jewish perspective.
0: Amazing. Amazing, Michael. Yes, I, I appreciate that, that challenge. And I think it's a really important one. Because if I take the two kind of um, uh, paradigms among liberal Jews and among most traditional Jews... I think that the most common answers would be, as an oversimplification, but I think it's fair. On the one hand, we are Jews because we obey God. We obey Torah. And we are, on the other end, we are Jews because we believe in tikkun olam, we repair the world, right? And so the actions done are different. The reasons for them are different. This one person is, um, is getting their, their suit checked for shotness. And putting on their tzitzit and say, I'm repairing the world by doing these rituals which God obligated me to do. And this other person is saying, I'm attending a climate a climate justice rally um, because I'm a Jew and I'm here to repair the world. And their actions are different and their reasons for doing it are different. So how do we build the bridge? So here's how I think we build the bridge. And and, and I'm open to feedback on
4: that. Uh, and Rabbi, I think, can, I add, can I add one more group? Today? Yes, yes, please, yes, please. What about the Jews who who like the food at Pesa yeah. and like giving presents at, at and doing a menorah because it's neat, and right. that's their Judaism. Do we count them on the continuum too? Or are they not thinking enough that that's who we're really thinking about as
0: okay. well? so so, so un- undoubtedly, and you know, I I always choose the most noble of both sides, but undoubtedly the most common uh, Jew is the Jew of the stomach. The Jew who's not thinking about anything. They're just they're just here for the brisket, right? Oh, I don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it. I'm just here, I'm just here for the brisket, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the person of Thanksgiving. Some people they want Thanksgiving because this is a time to serve others. Some people, they're here for Thanksgiving because I get to make a meal for my family. They're here for Thanksgiving because I can express my gratitude to those I love. I'm here for Thanksgiving because I feel the nostalgia of my ancestors and the enterprise of America to try to build a more just and moral society. Others, they're really here for the turkey and football. I'm really, I, I, I have no idea what this holiday is about. I just want turkey and football and beer, right? Now, Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to put that person down. Like the common person who's really just the, the person of the gut, the American of the gut, the Jew of the gut, doesn't really want to think a lot, doesn't want to evolve a lot. Like it's, you know, this is the, this is a common person and I don't think their motives are bad. I think they're just desiring a little comfort. That's okay. And most certainly that is that is the most common Jew probably as well, right? The Shabbos experience is only good if the matzah ball soup is good. If the matzah ball soup isn't good, like I just wasted my time. I should have gone, right? The Yom Kippur is only meaningful if the choir did an amazing, an amazing kol Nidre. If the choir didn't do an amazing kol Nidre, or the rabbi's sermon was boring, like, oh, I, I should have watched YouTube. I should have done Netflix, you know? Like it it actually, there's nothing loftier involved. It's just about like what I was served. Like did you serve me well or not, you know? And so so, now here's where I think the bridge can be. I think the bridge between those two camps I laid out can be in, and I welcome pushback here, the notion of tsivui that we are obligated to do good. I think what, what can unite us as Jews is that we are obligated to do good. We have a, an innate sense of responsibility and obligation. Now, what we do and how we do it will be different. If the Haredi Jew says, I am obligated to all the halachas of Shabbos because the Kodesh Baruch Hu gave the Torah and I'm obligated to keep this stuff, right? And, 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 a, and a very different kind of Jew says, I feel obligated to donate money to the poor in my city. Right. And I don't know if there's a God and I don't know about this Torah enterprise, but as a Jew, I feel responsible and even obligated to do good in the world. And so I think the bridge is a sense of obligation. We, Jews don't just do things because um, it's it, um, it just because it feels nice, but we do it because we have a sense of responsibility. And I, and I think that that notion of obligation can really bridge us together. That we wake up and as humans we are called to help others. We're called to bring repair, and so I don't want to be naive. That bridge is pretty is pretty big. Um, you know, it's a pretty big uh, bridge to build, but I do think that it, that this idea is a radical one, because I think if you take the the Christian word of charity, charity means it's an altruistic thing, right? I am doing something good because it's kind to do something good. I'm going to help someone else because it's it, it's kind to do that. And I'm not putting that down. That's beautiful. And the Jewish idea, I think, rejects charity. I don't do something because it's kind. I do it because I'm obligated to do it, right? When I when I donate some money to help someone, I, I don't just pat myself on the back. I'm allowed to feel good about it. But that's what I'm here for. I'm here to serve, right? It's not just altruism. It wasn't my money in the first place, right? And so... um. Okay oh, anyways, l- l- let me let me let me pause there. I-, I appreciate that. Okay, just before we circle back to some folks, is there anyone we haven't heard from yet who wanted to jump in? Della or Rabbi Lerner or Cody? Okay, just waving. He's just waving. Rabbi Lerner, did you want to jump in? No, nope, he's just waving. Okay, thank you. Okay, so anyone else who we've heard from want to jump in?
1: Steve, you had your hand up
3: before Barbara? I'm sorry. I, I saw Barbara's hand up, and so I will defer to her.
0: Okay, great. Barbara, then Steve.
1: Here's something that really disturbs me. And that is when you talk about this balance, that there are, there are beliefs by some people that if they follow all the rules that are written or that are spoken, that they then have the freedom to, to drift away from kindness and drift away from honesty and drift away from ethical behavior mm-hmm. because they're following all the rules. And to me, the the rules have no meaning if they if they turn around and treat people in an abusive manner, whether it's whatever to whatever degree it is. And and it really, really
0: disturbs me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome, Barbara. Thank you for that important, really important point. That um in, in Lawrence Kohlberg's stages of moral development, his six stages of moral development that he outlined at Harvard, um, Harvard Education School in psychology, uh, he deals with the evolution of one's moral development. And he deals with the obedience of rules as, as one of the lowest levels, right? essentially um, reward and punishment. Um, I'm just here to follow rules. And then the next stage of social contract, um, and then, you know, and and then and then, you know, it gets the higher stages, ultimately, of conscience. And this idea that we can be morally evolved in, individuals by simply obeying rules. We know to be so completely flawed. It's flawed in American society that if I just do what the laws of the land, um, that I'm a, that I'm a good person. And it's most certainly true in Judaism as well. And the Ramban calls this a naval bishutah Torah that you can fulfill all of the laws and still be a disgusting person, right? And fulfill all the rules. And so um, that's a really important challenge for us to think about um, uh, uh, how we go leaf ni mishurat adin above the letter of the law. And we return to the question of purpose. What am I trying to achieve here? If I am completely frum, I, 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 I do every mitzvah and yet I'm still acting cruel ways to others, and I'm insensitive, whatever, what have I ultimately achieved? And according to a bulk of our our tradition, not only have I achieved nothing, I've almost mocked that tradition through that chilel Hashem. By doing these mitzvot and not allowing them to to transform my menchilachite, I've actually mocked the entire system. So Barbara, thank you for that. And I think that that's that's totally right. That's totally powerful. Steve, over to you, Steve. Uh,
3: Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, You used, Rabbi, the phrase, we're here to serve. And I think a lot about that phrase, my sense is that we're all wired at birth with a sense of uh, need to be compassionate. Uh, But I also think a lot about are we here to serve ourselves Mm -hmm. Uh, is is the phrase do unto others better said do unto yourself and then do unto others do unto yourself as you would do unto others, um, how how do we serve ourselves and not be arrogant and selfish?
0: Mm, mm. Wow, wow. What a profound question that will only be able to scratch the surface of such an amazing question, because Steve is exactly right that the Torah says kamocha, you shall love um, others as you love yourself, which means if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. Um, it has to flow from a sense of self-worth and self, self-love. Um, and through that, it can channel forth towards others. And um, we know people who really struggle with self-care because they're serving others so much. And we know the opposite, people who are obsessed with self-care, that they, can't, they simply can't get enough of taking care of themselves um, and can't get past the self. We're in, we're in an era of narcissism on the one hand, um, and also in an era of, um, uh, of, of selflessness, you look at certain people who work in certain fields um, or, or are working as, you know, single parents or um, serve in whatever ways they serve. And they're just literally tireless advocates. And so um, we, we live in a time of extremes uh, and we're very aware. And those people can't imagine each other. It's almost like the selfless person assumes the narcissist is also selfless because it's hard for them to imagine what it's like to be self-consumed. And the opposite. The narcissist can't imagine anyone's doing something altruistically. They must have some greed or motive involved because they can't imagine somebody operating differently. It's like a total breakdown of empathy or or moral imagination of how someone could operate differently. And so I think Steve's point is so incredibly important of, of how we... Um, how we take care of ourselves, we love ourselves, um, and yet not have that get in the way, have that actually enhance what we're ultimately trying to do. And I think one of the pathways there is, um, is you know, the famous phrase, uh, Ezehu Ashir from Pirkei Avot, who is rich, has sameach one who is content with what they have. Now let me offer the obvious reading of that, and then I'll offer the less obvious reading. The obvious reading is, that's a good Thanksgiving read, is that the one who is happy is really focused on their gratitude. They rewire their brain to be focused on what they have rather than on what they don't have, right? Um, but, the, but, but here's the less obvious reading of this. HaSameach <laughs> Bechelko means they are content with what they have, which is to say, my joy comes not just from what i have i experience joy from others gains as well so what happens there is all of a sudden we can be uplifted in the process of 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 lifting others as well which is to say we don't need work-life balance remember when people used to talk about work-life balance oh i can't answer an email past this time or I'm not gonna work on this day, I need work-life balance. What a strange way, model of thinking about about life. Number one, why should you turn off life at work as if you shouldn't find joy and meaning in work? And number two, how could you turn off your purpose, assuming work is about purpose? And the other hours of time. Today, more and more, we talk about work-life integration. right? that ultimately our character, our spirituality permeates the workplace and our work and our sense of purpose in the world permeates our off time as well. So too, in serving others, we are serving self and in serving self, we're serving others. We start to break down those boundaries of what it means to find joy in our own gain and in the gain of others. I know people only in their own gain can they find joy, a bigger paycheck, winning in the casino, a little win in, in a, in a scratch-off card, right? they get something, they get a present, oh, now I feel good, I got something. And I know people, they feel joy when they see others around them experiencing joy. And that is the reworking of our system, that once we start to feel joy when those around us are gaining, the opportunities are literally all around us to be a happier person. And so there, it's not about, do I serve self or do I serve other? but actually those two being intertwined. Actualizing myself is actualizing the other as well. Barbara, were you about to jump back in? I just wanted to thank Steve for being so gracious about letting me speak. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. So friends, I, um, I, this is such a delightful group of, of people here and I'm so grateful that you continue to join. And our debate next week We're actually going to move from the abstract debates back to some of the um, specific debates. Debate 28 is going to be Spinoza versus the rabbis of Amsterdam. Baruch Spinoza against the rabbis of Amsterdam. Who was right? The rabbis who ostracized him or or Spinoza himself? So, friends, I wish you a Thanksgiving that is full of giving and full of thanks. Um, And it is full of just uh, whether you're with a ton of people or you're with nobody. It is a time that um can be meaningful and um oh and Lauren um don't feel bad. I know you're in Canada. You can you can uh you can make it a special day too. However, <laughs> I know you've got your own Canadian. It was in October, it's fine. <laughs> oh okay, that's fine. Uh yeah, thank you. Uh and and I wish everyone a Hanukkah Sameach with our first night this coming Sunday night. Uh a Thanksgivaka. Is that how they say it? Thanksgiving, Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, okay. Uh it's not a perfect overlap, but it's something. And, um, and that we'll have the chance to learn together about Spinoza and the rabbis of Amsterdam on Hanukkah next week. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving and Kaksa Okay. And whatever our purposes are, let's keep doing good things in the world as, as we are. As Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybetmadrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeatmadrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.